So in today's podcast, it's an early release. Yes, it is the 24th, so Christmas Eve, and I was involved on a storytelling about a bigger table that was written by Jenner Zeno from Studio Stargazers, and I am posting this one because it's a beautiful story for the holidays to get together, the gathering uh, that's what it's all about. So enjoy that beautiful storytelling and all my love. Talk to you later. Bye. Once upon a time, there was a village. What's real and what's not? That's what we're here to discuss tonight. I know word has spread that I'm a survivor of Pryor's Hollow. Some of you say I'm a ghost. Some of you say I'm a witch. Some say it's all a lie. There never was a Pryor's Hollow. And I'm just an ordinary stranger. So tonight, I called you all together to tell you the truth. Why would I do that? Why is my personal life any concern to anyone but me, and perhaps those I invite into my personal life? It's because I am, in fact, one of the survivors of Pryor's Hollow. I, I, I know what lies can do. I know destruction. The destruction that rumors can wield with all the power of Hannibal's elephants. And I know the only way we can fight the fire lit by lies is with the cleansing rain of truth. I'm not here to tell you the ending of Friar's Hollow. That was caused by lies, hatred. You've all heard the legends. You already know the evil of falling under the spell of a charismatic leader who demands loyalty and returns it with betrayal. Instead, I want to tell you the story of the power of truth and love. I want you to see how the seeds sown by cooperation and understanding and empathy blossomed into a tiny, thriving, peaceful, and prosperous village. It was beautiful before it attracted the prior's attention. Back in 58, we were Stargazer Village. Come there with me now, in your mind. In your imagination, close your eyes. See the little homes scattered across the verdant valley. Sheep are grazing contentedly. Dogs roam from home to home, collecting food and affection from each family. 
No one even knows whose dogs are whose. They're all just a part of the family they've chosen. One of them, a black terrier, is trotting happily next to me as I walk down the road in the center of town. His tail is wagging as we see Wesley, the wagon boy, coming down the road, his cart overflowing with supplies from the city. Good morning, Wesley. I was four, and I was wearing my beautiful new birthday dress. My mama was a seamstress, and she had made it special for me. It was a little bit extravagant from what I normally wore. She had put a good amount of color in it from what I remember. But then again, this was a special day. It was a striped blue dress, and I loved it, I remember. Actually, the bodice was a solid royal blue, but starting at the waist, there were blue and white horizontal stripes rippling across its elegant folds as I ruffled along, feeling pretty. Howdy, Miss Eliza. I brought a heap of supplies from the city. The harvest was so big, I couldn't carry all the goods we got on the trade. Poor Bessie is most wore out. You must be proud. I hope your horsey feels better. I had to go the long way. Mr. Cross is fixing the bridge. I like your pretty blue dress. Wesley, don't you have some deliveries to make? Most especially to your Uncle Louie? Did you get my bottle, boy? I sure did, Uncle Louie. Here it is. Morning, Miss Eliza. You be sure to tell your mama and daddy you get over by the tavern this evening. The minstrel group, I of Odin, finally has enough musicians, and they are going to play one of your mom's songs tonight. They don't want to miss that. I thought about singing with them, but the local livestock complained I was stealing their song. That's silly, Miss Miguel. No one owns a song. Louie looked at me like I was crazy. Oh, Eliza, you sweet little wanderer. You're so young. Wesley, take me home, boy. Louis stumbled a little, trying to climb into the wagon, while he took a long drink from the bottle. He loved the way I used to love parties. They rode into the distance, and I went on my way towards the bridge. There were birds singing, and animals all around made their own noises. I could almost hear the day-long voice of the ancestors in their songs. Good morning, Mr. Cross. Hello, wandering Lizzie. You're up early. It's the best time to get work done, don't you think? What you doing? Remember how the bridge was all squeaky and rickety? Arthur brought me five cords of wood last night, and since I had more than I needed, I thought I'd make a few more boards to replace some of these weaker ones. We don't want anyone falling into the troubled water. I'm just little. Can I cross it? It would be better if you just went through the woods this morning. 
You ought to be in the woods with your friend Pearl anyway, don't you? Uh-huh. It's the only place she plays with me. You take the long way out. Guess so, Mr. Crossar. You coming to our dinner tonight? Mama says everyone should come and eat with us to celebrate. Papa says I'm five today. And it's gratitude giving. I believe it's called Thanksgiving, little lady. I'd be honored to be at your table at two hours past moonrise. I walked on towards the woods and soon came upon the library. Alexander Bayes, our librarian and aspiring religious leader, was singing to himself. I just had to go and say good morning to him. Oh my, I didn't know anyone else was here. Did you come to get a book, Miss Eliza? <laughs> I can't read. I like the one with the pretty pictures, though. With a grandpa as smart as yours, you'll be reading in no time. He's a great writer, you know. <laughs> He's funny. I like him lots. Pictures are important, too. They can help you imagine. They can create a new world for you to inhabit, or capture a moment for you to feel. Do you understand? Sort of. And then he opened a book for me. There were pretty pictures, lights in the night sky. These are called stars. Can you say stars? Of course I can. I'm not a baby. Stars. <laughs> That's right. Your grandpa tells me they might be great big balls of fire, a long, long way from here. Are they going to burn us? I don't know. I don't think so. They might not even be balls of fire. Sometimes I think they're the eyes of our ancestors looking down on us from another world. But we don't know yet. Someday we might know. That's what your grandpa Nicholas is trying to find out for us. And he writes the words in these books so we can remember what he learned. We don't have to start all over again. Mr. Cooper wrote all the words in this book. Did grandpa make the pretty pictures too? No, the old stargazer told me what they should look like and I painted them. Mr. Milne gave us some glue. We pasted them into the book. Together, we made something nice. Together is always nice. Will you please come to dinner at our house tonight? Grandpa Nick is going to be there. It would be like, like something, you know, like a firefly, something shiny, if you were both at the table with us. What may I bring? Everyone likes books. Then books will be with me tonight when I sup with your family. I continued on my way home. While I walked through the woods, I looked at all the pretties. I felt the light breeze cooling the gentle rays of sunlight 
sneaking in between the treetops. I inhaled the pine-scented air and held my breath just so I could savor the smell of the woods. And I closed my eyes and slipped into a dream. Wilbur chewed his way through his transparent egg, squirmed free, and then finished the omelet before eating the delicious leaf on which he found himself. With the leaf consumed, he began to search for additional food. And it was then that he saw Esmeralda, lightly flapping her delicate golden wings in a way that humans would call overtly flirtatious. Wilbur rose as best he could, bowed to the monarch, and noticed his squishy body filling with an unfamiliar yearning. How could anything be so beautiful, so perfect, and not be food? Esmeralda rose slowly into the air, returned the bow, and fluttered into the sunlight. Wilbur looked at himself with revulsion. Esmeralda was sparkling, fragile, and alluring. He was squishy, green, and gross. He began to slip off his twig and he grabbed onto it before he could plummet to a messy death below. With the vision of the graceful being he had beheld planted firmly in his mind, he began to think deeply and concentrate so intensely that his body began to explode with a gooey mess that promptly surrounded and then encased him as he slipped into a dream. When he awoke, he fluttered into the moonlight. He was free. When I opened my eyes again, Wilbur fluttered past me. With cat-like reflexes, I grabbed him. Just as quickly, a raven swooped down from the sky towards my hands. No! Boo! Go away! I was sweating furiously at it when Eustace Tangy arrived. How did you know my bird's name? Make it go away. No, Boo. Come! I was shocked to see the bird perch on Mr. Tangy's shoulder. I didn't know people can eat birds. No, Boo is my friend. Friends don't own each other, they just share interests. What does it mean, share interests? You like pretties, don't you? Uh-huh. So do I. We are both interested in pretty things. We share that interest. It's part of why we're friends. I found some pretties this morning. There's this tiny bar. See? It has shiny wings. They're pretty. To put one on my lawn. It's called a butterfly, sweetie. Its wings are very pretty, but he needs them. He's alive, just like you and me. Just like you need your arms. He needs those wings. You mustn't take them. Everything alive needs to be treated lovingly. You can do that, can't you, young lady? Yes, but where will I get my pretties then? I'll get you my pretties. 
I noticed Pearl, another girl, only a year older than I was, hiding behind a tree watching us. I smiled and waved at her. There are lots of pretties in the world, Eliza. But we don't take life away from anything. Life goes away far too soon anyway. But only alive for a very short time. And then we rejoin the soil from which we sprang. When something isn't alive anymore, we return it to the earth so that it's still with us. That's how come you dug that deep hole and put Mr. Bartleberry in it? Bartleberry. But, yes, that's why. But he doesn't do the grain anymore now. He's done doing things now. Now he gets to rejoin the quiet earth again. So he doesn't talk anymore, just like Pearl. Pearl doesn't feel confident speaking aloud. But you two can play without words, can't you? Uh-huh. I just wish she would say Polo when I say Marco. That's how the game's supposed to go. Sometimes she's just sad. She keeps looking for her mama and her papa, and we're sure they'll show up any day now, but until then, she stays with me and, and I take care of her. How long has she been looking now? She's been with me for almost a year now. A year's a long time. Sometimes it seems that way. Sometimes it's a really short time. The terrier ran to Pearl's tree and Pearl climbed up it like she was born to it. I followed her and we played in the branches for a few minutes before I realized I still had so many things to do today. I told her goodbye and she and Eustace went back towards his little shack on the other side of the woods, as far away from the rest of us as he could be. I wandered home. The terrier that had been following me all day ran to the porch, barking loudly. He knew he would find food and love there. The dog and I went in the house, and he skidded to a halt. He put his tail between his legs, and turned around and went back the way he came. Even with the heart of a newly minted five-year-old, I could feel the tension in the room. Mama and Papa were unhappy with each other. They stopped talking the moment I arrived. Mama looked at Papa warning him with her gaze not to do this now. He took a moment, a breath, and a puff from his pipe, and nodded defeatedly. Where have you been wandering all day, honey? I've been all over! I played with Carl in the woods. She was hiding behind the tree when I was talking to Mr. Eustace. Mr. Eustace said he would come to dinner when I asked him to. I thought that was so nice. You asked the undertaker to dinner. Why would you do that? And Mr. Claus with the hammer said he would come too. Are you kidding? Oh, and Mr. Alexander was coming too. He said he'll bring some bucks. <laughs> You've been a busy girl. Uh-huh. There will be lots of people here. 
Then maybe you could stop inviting people now, Eliza, don't you think? How come? Well, we might not have enough room at our table. Sweetie, why don't you take a little rest in your room after your busy morning? You want to be well rested for the gathering tonight. Okay, Mama, I'll go to my room now. I went to lie in my little bed, but the walls weren't as thick as Mama hoped. I don't want all these people coming over here. Alexander and his books? No, he has sacrilegious ideas. And Eustace? He's obsessed with death. What's the good in that? I don't want our daughter around people like them. Them? What do you mean, them? In our little village, there is no them. We are all us. And maybe it's time to think about our ideas and beliefs. Are they so weak that they can't stand up against ideas that are different? I was brought up with these beliefs. Things were different where I came from. I'm not changing my ideas just because we live here now. I know the truth. I will have eternal life. I certainly hope so, but it won't be on the earth. And while we're here on earth, we have to live with different kinds of people. Do you think it's possible that other people are as sure about their truths as you are about yours? That doesn't make them right. The librarian is a hedonist. He believes life should be all about pleasure, joy, and happiness all the time. Don't you like those things? I do. But work is more important. We can't survive without hard work. I built this entire cabin myself. Work. Hard work. Alexander doesn't know anything about that. He toils not. Neither does he so. But he eats our food and- And we just had the biggest harvest in our little village's history. I think we can take a break from work for a little bit. Don't you? We're done with food being scarce. We're living in abundance. We're standing on the shoulders of hundreds of thousands of years of our ancestors' accomplishments. We can all share. We can enjoy the fruits of our labor. Why should anyone else get things when I work, but they didn't? Taking care of the books is work. Painting is work. Inventing is work. He does all of those things. He's different. Everything is always different. Did you know that when Nana met my father, she believed the world was flat? Many people believe that. Yes, they do. And they're wrong. Papa showed me how they proved it's round. Nana's ideas were different from Papa's. Should he have rejected her from his life because she had the wrong thoughts? If he had, I'm not here to love you today. Neither is Eliza, and neither is our little nameless child who will be joining us in the coming days. I want our home to be a place of love. I want it to be filled with kindness and acceptance. Don't you? But what about the Undertaker consorting with the dead? I don't think he even knows how to love. I wonder where he could learn. Do you love me? Of course I do. Very much. You know that. <sighs> yes, I do. And you know that I love you, don't you? Yes, I do. I feel your love. But there was a time when we didn't love each other. When we first met, I felt very differently about you. I didn't trust you. I didn't trust much of anyone after Lawrence left us. 
and you didn't like me very much. I don't think you were too happy about the fact that I once had a different husband before you ever came along. I didn't know you as well then. I hadn't felt the magic in your soul. I hadn't seen you shine. We shine most brightly in the darkness. It was only in the dark that we learned to love each other. I crept to the door to look out. Mama and Papa are holding each other, loving them. Time changes all things. Mm-hmm. And you want to know a secret? There's no them. We're all us. No matter how different we are, we're all here in this village together, finding way to live and love in our own ways. <clears throat> now, Eliza, you've heard all the secrets you need to hear. Quit eavesdropping and go make sure Nana and Grandpa are coming to the gathering tonight. Mr. Louis says the mini trolls called Eye of Open are going to play in the full belly tonight. They're going to play one of the songs you want, Mama. He wants us to come and hear them. Then stop by and tell them we'll be there. And make sure you invite everyone to the feast. I watched Mama smile knowingly at Papa. I scurried out the door over the meadow and through the woods to Nana's house. Smoke was rising gently through the chimney, and a little white dog ran up to me. Before I reached the porch, Nana was standing in the doorway, watching me. Nicholas, our little wanderer is here. By the time I made it across the yard, Papa was there waiting for me too. He picked me up and the three of us hugged each other, my little arms squeezing their necks. Papa started coughing. Oh, you're so strong. You're gonna choke your old grandpa to death. I promise I won't. I don't want you to go back to the earth yet. I won't be feeding the trees for quite a while yet, honey. Your Nana just pulled a coffee cake out of the oven, and we need to test the results. Wanna be in on my experiment? Does the experiment come with butter? If you want, let's go and see about it. And we went into their big house. The kitchen smelled of pastry. The fire burning in the fireplace was warm and friendly. The furnishings were sparse, but designed for comfort. Nana set me on the soft couch and went to get me a plate of coffee cake while Papa came to sit by me. To what do we owe the honor of your visit? Huh? (laughs) Why did you come over? Mama wanted me to tell you to make sure you came to dinner tonight. Lots and lots of people are coming. Wherever will you put them all? I don't know. I didn't think about that. Well, let's think about it together. Close your eyes. You'll see better that way. Now, imagine your table. Imagine all the people. Do you think your dinner table is big enough for all these people to sit at? Nuh-uh. I don't think so. Eat this while you're imagining. It's worth mentioning that Nana's coffee cake was absolutely legendary. Maybe we can't have all these people except I want everyone to be with us. Then what else can we do? I don't know. I guess some people could sit on the floor, like Indian style. Do you think they'll like that? Um, no. That's not fun. Then, what else can you imagine? Can you imagine everyone sitting at one table? Yes!
Then you tell Mr. Cross before you go back home. Have him build a big round table. I need to collect the data from Nana's cooking experiment. How was the coffee cake? Nummy! Oh, spoken with the precision of a true scientist. Well, we need to get the same results repeatedly to be sure we're right. I better test it too. Can I have a slice, Nana? <laughs> Always the skeptic. Well, want to see another science trick, little wayfarer? Does it have butthole? Oh, I'm afraid not, but it does have secret powers. Look. Grandpa took a pouch down from the mantle over the fireplace. He handed it to me. Look inside. I opened the pouch and found some sort of dust, almost like a collection of pebbles. It looks like bunny dog. But it can do something extraordinary. Watch. He took a handful of the dust and tossed it into the fire. With a quick flash and whoosh, the fire disappeared. My eyes popped. Is that water powder? That's a good description. Good thinking, young lady. Enough with your silly tricks. Eliza, you best get to the carpenter so he can make us that table. Can I have the water powder, Papa? Maybe I can make it grow magical pretties. It's good for that, too. He hung the pouch around my neck, where it would stay for years. And then he walked me to the door. We'll see you at dinner time. I stepped outside, and Wesley was just arriving with his wagon. We waved to each other, and I skipped into the woods. I followed the flow of the river until I reached the bridge. Mr. Cross had just finished, and he stood there, proudly surveying his work. Miss Eliza, you couldn't have come at a bad time. You get to be the first to cross the river. Thank you, Mr. Cross. I have plenty of wood left. The forest has been good to us this year. A big round table will be with me when I arrive this evening. Thank you kindly. Have you seen little Pearl around here? I wanted to play in the trees with her again. I think you're the only one who sees it, Miss Eliza. She must be your special friend. I hope someday everyone sees her. I would like that. It's wonderful to see what others only imagine. I didn't bother to explain to him the difference between real and imagination. Some people don't understand. And that's okay. I continued into the village square. It was then that I saw Herbert and Abigail for the first time. They would later become some of our most renowned villagers. Today, though, they were just strangers to us, as I am to you. I knew people. I'm glad you came. Where exactly are we? We're here. Does here have a name? Oh, uh-huh. This is Starving Hill Village. Where did you come from? Oh, aye, many places. We've been a bit everywhere, it seems. We're a bit tired now. Oh, I know how to fix that. When we're tired, here we eat, and then we rest. That's how 
how you should do. But Lassie, we don't. They took them to the full belly, near the center of the square. It was our tavern. It was where everyone ate if they didn't eat at home, and they had so many people there simply being together. The owners were Bradley Bartleberry and his wife, Tabitha. Everyone called her Tabs, and it took me until last week to figure out why they called her that. Your own barkeep had to ask me if I wanted to run a tab. There were so many sounds and smells that I used to wander around the tavern just to experience them all. Today, there were about a dozen people in the full belly. Some of them were at tables. My friend, Louis, was alone at the bar. Off in the corner, a few minstrels were warming up on their wide variety of musical instruments. I think every one of them played at least three. Peter, the blacksmith, and his wife Maggie were constantly trying to get a big enough group together to play all the music they loved. They said they were on a mission from someone or other. Hey, Julie. Who are your friends? Never one to be deterred, the tavern keeper shook Herbert's hand. Bradley Bartleberry, around the full belly. What can we do for you? Uh, Herbert Gray, and this is my wife, Abby. Pleased to meet you both. Have a seat. Let me get you something to eat. That's very kind of you. We've had quite, quite a journey. I'll ask Tabski some him, and that might be enough to get you to tell us about it. Looks like you might need a place to rest your heads, too. Well... Yes, but... We don't have much. You worry too much. It's gonna be alright. Tabby, I want you to meet our new friends, Herbert and Abigail. They've come from somewhere else. Let's get them a bit of ale and see if we can get them to tell us their story in exchange. Herbert and Abigail, this is my wife, Tabitha. We are pleased to meet you, Miss Tabitha. Tabs. Everyone calls me Tabs. And it's nice to meet you, too. Looks like you might be the sort of folk who would enjoy a bit of lamb. Or maybe some roasted hen and some rosemary potatoes. Aye, Tabs. You'd be pouring us a measure of kindness we cannot be worthy of. Oh, everyone's worth a measure of kindness. And if I don't start serving some of the roasted hen, it's going to go to waste. We can't allow that. Tired of feeding it to the dogs. I don't think the dogs are tired of it. Brad, do we have any of the extra rooms made up? It's been so long since we needed them, I quit changing the sheets. I'll ask Bartholomew to get the fires lit so the room will warm up tonight. But we cannot repay you. We've arrived with nothing but the clothes on our backs. You could tell us your story. I don't think we're ready for that. It's been... It's all been a bit much. Abby began to cry, and Herbert held her. There's lots of things people can do to shine. We don't have enough brewers here, for one thing. Do you know anything about making ale? I'm afraid. All I know... How to make is bread. Herbert can grind grain. Bradley, you know exactly what they can do. They're a gift from Providence. Dad's only been gone a week. I don't know if we want to move anyone in so soon. Herbert, our miller died last week. He had a wonderful mill on top of the Western Hill. It needs to be fixed up a bit, of course. The poor man worked up to his last day on earth, but he couldn't tend the equipment properly anymore. Does it have an oven? fine one. Oh, I used to bake some of the most wonderful bread back in the old country. 
We've been running so long. How I miss the smell of bread baking in the morning. It reminds me of Mama. Abby. It's all right. We earn trust by giving it. My mistress had a beautiful oven where Mama could cook. Then it's settled. The mill is yours. There's always some grain there, and the wheat here grows in the most beautiful fields of gold. I don't know what to say. I haven't the words. I look forward to serving your bread to our patrons. Bread means honey. I know someone who has honey. I went rushing across the bar toward where Edward Milne was sitting with some people, showing them some of his newest candles. I was distracted, though, by Louis, sitting so quietly only a child could hear him. Hi, Cousin Louis. I'm not your cousin. Oh, I thought everybody was a cousin unless they were a mama or papa or nana or something. All the world's a stage, sweetie, and all the men and women Merely players. Um, huh? Just leave me to my L. But you're all alone. Alone isn't as nice as together. Sometimes it's better. You're too young to know. Just like you run along, other people need you. Other people here have each other. You don't look like you have anybody. The one I need isn't here. The one I need isn't Everybody's anywhere. somewhere. Ruby's not. Who's Ruby? Can you keep a secret? Uh-huh. She's my daughter. She'd be just about your age now, I think. I'm five. Today. Okay. She'd be a little older, but she'd be little. And she'd be silly. She'd have her mother smile. Age cannot wither her, nor custom stale. Her infinite variety. Huh? She's... Was the sea now? Her ship went down. She and her mother are somewhere in the ocean. Then she's still here with us. Isn't the ocean part of us? Yes, I suppose she is in some way. You have to come to the celebration tonight, okay? Together with everyone. I don't know I'd be welcome among them. It was dumb. Mama says there was no them. She says we're well, all us. That means you're us, too. And so is Ruby, okay? Whatever you say, kid. Okay, but you have to promise because Papa says it's my special day. 
Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. No, tonight and tonight and tonight. As you wish, Mr. Moon. I hurried across the bar to where the candle maker was sitting, surrounded by people admiring his newest creation. It was rich, dark green, and there was a cottage. In a forest, in a glade carved into it with exquisite detail, I could almost see a light on in the attic. Young Miss Wood, how does this lovely day find you? I I guess it just has to look. I'm right here. <laughs> I came to see if the bees had any honey. My friend Abby wants to make some bread. She just wants a little smidgen of something sweet, or is it you who wants to put it on the bread? Both. <laughs> Do you have any? Yes, but you need to introduce me to. Oh, I didn't even let him finish before I grabbed his wrist and tried to pull him across the tavern. He grabbed his basket with his free hand and hurried to keep up with me. Miss Abby. This is Mr. Edward. He has something for you. <laughs> Greetings, Miss Happy. And you, sir. I don't believe I've had the pleasure of your acquaintance. Herbert Gray. Pleasure to meet you. Uh, Miss Eliza, may I have my hand back? I released his wrist, and he shook Herbert's hand. Miss Happy. I'd like to welcome you to Stargazer Village with two fresh jars of the work of the bees. They've been very busy this month. I don't know if they will be next month. You never can tell with bees. But they gave me more than enough to share with you. Take these to sweeten your bread, and come see me later for some candles that will brighten your room. Thank you, sir. I'll be sure to save a loaf for you. And then you could put some honey on it. So, I suppose I should go take a look at our new meal. Abby, will you be all right here by yourself? I had more to do. For a little girl who didn't work, I was awfully busy. So, I ambled out of the tavern, through the square, and into the woods again. That was when I first met Otis, the stream keeper. He was up to his knees in the water building little waterfalls and clearing other passages down the river. I remember his pants were rolled as high as he could get them, but they were still soaked. Hi, Carson. Hi, little one. What you doing? I'm trying to help the fish get home. These poor little fish, a lot of them come up the river, and they don't always make it back. Sometimes the bears eat them. Sometimes they just run out of energy because the swimming is too much. Then they die, and that's really sad. That's a lovely thing to do. I mean, not dying, I guess, but fixing the river. The little waterfalls are pretty. They shine in the sun when they go by. They do indeed. The world's a little nicer when you help each other out, don't you think? Uh huh. You should come to eat with us tonight. I'm five, and it's Thanksgiving. Both on the same day. Isn't that shiny? It certainly is. 
he watched a fish leap from the water, caught it with his left hand, and tossed it further upstream. It splashed, and he giggled ecstatically. <laughs> Go home, little fish. You're on your way. They're coming to our home tonight. Which one's yours? I gave him directions and watched him a moment more as the fish flopped past, some of them sliding into the little bridges he had crafted so strangely. It was such an odd sight that I never forgot it. I don't know that it helped a single fish, but Otis was a happy man when he believed it did. Fishy, fishy, fishy. Swim home, little fish. Swim home. Home's called. When I got back home, Nana and Grandpa were at the house. Wesley was there with his wagon. It was still heavily loaded, even though he had been making deliveries all day. Nana had a bouquet she had created from wildflowers. Grandpa was helping Wesley and Joshua, the carpenter, unload fresh new boards. I all but tackled Nana in a huge hug. Those flowers are so pretty. Can I smell them? Surely, sweetie. They're like perfume. They make the world a little sweeter, don't you think? And they did. They smelled of safety and serenity. They smelled like home. Those boards should make a fine table. We can cut them down to make a circle out of straight lines. It's time for a little geometry. Are you sure you boys will have it ready in time? Dinner is an hour past sundown, and the sun is already moving a little lower. We'll manage. Our little village vagabond said you all needed a bigger table. I thought if we all helped build it, we could all enjoy sitting at it a little bit more. There's a sense of accomplishment that comes from working with everyone to create something beautiful. Let me help. Oh, you're too little. I'll help. You can just go wander some more. I'm done wandering for the day. It's time to do some work. You don't do work yet, Lizzie. Of course she does. Why do you suppose so many people are here? Eliza is our little Mercury. She's a whole planet? Mercury was the messenger of the gods. Who are the gods here? We all are. Now grab a hammer and a strip of rope so we can take some measurements. And for the next hour, the sounds of pounding, sawing, profanity, and singing filled the clearing around our house. I handed the men some nails. Nana fed everyone coffee cake. Wesley had everything the groups could want on the cart, and then some. There were two saws, four hammers, and three buckets of nails. I found some sandpaper at the bottom of one of the buckets. I made nearly a whole square foot of table wonderfully smooth during that hour. When it was finished, everyone felt proud. There was almost a glow of joy emanating from our merry band of builders. As Papa, Grandpa, and Joshua lifted the table, Wesley ran to open the door. Uh-oh. This could be a problem. Is the table finished? Yes, it's beautiful. So... What's the problem? It's not gonna fit through the door. 
Make the door bigger. And how do you propose we do that? The axe is right there. Just cut your way through. That's why we have tools, right? I worked an entire summer putting this house together. I don't really fancy cutting it into pieces. Actually, all we need to do is remove the door and the top of the frame, and it will slip right in. Now need to take an axe to a problem best solved with a screwdriver and a claw hammer. When the job was complete, and Mama was properly pleased with its placement, Nana suggested we could all use some ale. And to the tavern, we all went together. And I realized as we set out, I still had one more wander to do. As the family set off toward the village, I headed away from it. I had to go see Eustace. He had never been to the tavern, and I knew he and Pearl needed to be there. When I got to their house, the sun was beginning to move behind it, so that seemed dark and almost forbidding. I looked up into the window and saw Pearl in the attic, staring out into space searching for a boat on the water that was too distant for the human eye. Somehow I knew she could see the tide sneaking onto the beach and each grain of sand being drawn to the endless water. I went to the door and Eustace was already there, waiting for me. Good twilight, Miss Eliza. Good twilight, Miss Otangi. I would like you and Pearl to come to the tavern with me. Miss, Miss Eliza, I don't feel comfortable with people. Can you understand that? Sure, but you won't be with people. You'll be with me. I'll take care of you, and you'll take care of Pearl. I could see the fear in his eyes, and he smiled at me in a way I learned later it was called trust. He took my hand, and we went up to get Pearl. Half an hour later, we stood at the door of the tavern. I, I don't know if I should go in there. There are so many. They'll look at me. They might even talk to me. Pearl pushed between us and walked to almost the center of the room. She stared in wonder at all the people and her lower lip began to quiver. Alexander walked slowly, calmly to her. He knelt in front of her, and he gently wiped a tear from her cheek. He put his arms around her, and he swayed back and forth with her. You're just fine, sweetie. Just be with me in this moment. We'll dance while the world spins on by. Just you. Just me. Pearl threw her arms around him and started to cry. And she danced. She moved in ways I had never seen before. Not just back and forth, or round and round, but in strange zigzags, and Alexander danced with her. I think they need some music. Peggy, let's play. Where's your flute? I'm getting it, Peter. Hold your horses, I can't know everything at once. Maggie, Peter's wife, reached across the bar to get her flute and a stranger touched her in a way she didn't seem to like. Don't ever do that again. 
I promise you, it's a very bad idea. She took her flute to the little stage, and Eye of Odin began to play. I took Eustace by the wrist and danced with him next to Alexander and Pearl. His knees were shaking, but he wouldn't leave me out there alone. It wasn't long before Mama and Papa started moving tables out of the way, and most everyone was dancing. Louis still sat alone, sobbing silently to his ale, but no one else could contain the spirit with which the Eye of Odin had filled them. This song is called Books. Hi, Alex. Uh, let's do Maggie. Let's do Meadows and Trees. Thank you. 
few minutes later, in the midst of all the joy, a stranger in a strange uniform stepped into Full Belly. Bradley went to greet him. Welcome to Full Belly. Let us get you something to drink. Actually, I came to collect currency, not ale. I'm here to collect taxes for the crown from each of you. You can't have all this for free, you know. <laughs> yes, in fact, we can't, little baby man. The only currency we use here is joy. If you would like to share that, you're welcome to the dance floor. If you need something more, there's the door. Make use of it promptly. And who might you be? I need your name for the records. I might be the bloody king of Thrace, but I'm actually the man who's going to toss you out of this room if you don't leave under your own steam. Oh, I think <laughs> I can bring an army in. Okay. Like a flash of lightning, Peter was off the stage and across the room. He grabbed the tax collector by his pants and collar and threw him through the swinging doors. The applause from us was even more enthusiastic than had been for the music. And now the army's gonna invade. Life's gonna get interesting. We can take care of ourselves. And uh, they won't be here until at least tomorrow. And tomorrow. And tomorrow. Come, enough of this. We are here to celebrate. More music! Maggie, do candles next. smiled sweetly and sashayed to him. She put her arm tenderly around his shoulder. Oh, you're such a funny man. I'm so sorry what's going to happen to you. Oh, the big bad 
blacksmith gonna throw me out to? <laughs> I don't give a fuck for him. I don't even want to watch. Here, Louis holds my beer. Now, I want you to try your best to remember this next time you want to be rude to a woman. We are people too. We deserve respect just like you. She held his face in her hands and moved hers far too close to his. Do you think you can understand that? I doubt it. Maybe I can explain in my bed. <laughs> and his head suddenly slammed so loudly into the bar that it sounded like a gunshot. He slid off his stool and fell in a heap on the floor. Now I think we can be ready for some music. School! The minstrels began to play, and everyone stomped the floor, shouting, School! It was the happiest I think I ever saw us.
When at last everyone had danced themselves into exhaustion, it was time to eat. I had an easier time convincing Mr. Tanji to join us at home now. He was beginning to feel a little more at home around people. Pearl kept staring at Louie, but Eustace got her to join us too. When we got to the house, we had enough chairs, but I pulled another one across the room and I put it next to Louie. This is for the one you miss. This sidewalk is gonna sit here for her. Is that okay? Louie nodded silently and made a solid effort at a smile. The table was brimming with food. There was meat of several varieties and mashed potatoes and lamb and everything anyone could want to eat. Nana finally brought out the tray with the turkey. I know that I speak for my daughter and her family when I say that we're overjoyed to make all of you our chosen family. I want everyone to eat all you possibly can. Indulge. Enjoy. Food was being passed around the table. Everyone was chatting idly, and an atmosphere of love and acceptance was in the air, with the same intoxicating smell of Nana's flowers and everyone's foods. I remember that feeling every day. I'm gratitudeful for everyone being here with us tonight. It makes a special our day. What do you people have gratitude about? Everybody tell. Little Pearl took an oyster locket from around her neck and handed it to Eustace, as if trying to tell him what to say for her. I think my little Pearl is trying to tell us that she misses her parents. She's never spoken to me, but I have a feeling this is her last memento of her mother. I see our little lady every night staring toward the ocean, but I believe she last saw me. The ocean took my wife and daughter from me. She's a cruel mistress. I guess I'm thankful for, for hope. Maggie, would you like to play the song? This is the only one I have. Friends? But... Well, here.
I want to thank everyone for inviting me into the land of the living. I am glad to see the world shine so before I return to the earth. I hate to tell you, Eustace, but all that lives must die. Everyone froze. Forks frozen in front of open mouths. What did you say? Pearl pointed to the locket. Eustace opened it and removed a tiny scrap of paper. He couldn't read it, but knew Grandpa could. He handed it to him. It's just that quotation from Shakespeare. That's all it says. Does this mean... It doesn't mean... I mean... I wrote my wife, but... No. You're not Ruby. Little thing? I believe we're seeing a reunion. A father and daughter are together again. That's impossible. Recognize what is in your sight, and that which is hidden from you will become plain to you. For there is nothing hidden which will not become manifest. Is your name Ruby? Ruby. I can't believe I found you. And you're all right? A father and child reunion is only a motion away. Blessed is the man who has suffered and found life. I think you need a new dress for your birthday today, Ruby. I ran into my room to get my prettiest red dress, and when I came back, Grandpa was reading from one of the books Alexander brought. I am here tonight, as always, to tell you the truth. And the truth is that I love you all. But I want to share with you two lessons. In all of history, people have allowed themselves to be fooled by those selling things, old gods, new gods, relief from their pain or their misery. And people buy what is being sold because they so want to believe that they can find relief for their minds and their hearts and their bodies. Worse, even once they realize they've been bamboozled, they won't admit it. They won't listen to any evidence that makes them seem foolish. They are no longer interested in the truth, but only in not having to admit that they were wrong. The bamboozle captures them, and in its name, they will do terrible things to others to protect their sense of self. They will hurt others, and also themselves, rather than acknowledge that they've been had. There, there is a lesson. Once we give away our power to reason, we almost never get it back. But aha, there is another and better lesson. Knowledge is the true power in the world. All power comes from some knowledge possessed and either shared with others or hoarded from them. Like a candle lit on a rainy, windy night, 
knowledge must be protected, but its light shared. Do not let the candle go out. Guard it, cup it with your hand, keep it safe, but also share the light of your candle with others. Shared power, shared knowledge may seem vulnerable, and it is, but it is truly the most important kind of power. After all, what is the use of it, that power, if it doesn't make the lives of others better? You are all keepers of the light and flickering candles yourselves. And I love you. We all have so much to be grateful for. This food, each other, Miss Eliza and her family for their hospitality and for bringing us all together. There will be good times and bad times because that's life. But the good times are real, just as real as the bad times. Treasure these, my friends. Keep these moments with you, always. Hmm. I guess today, today I'm thankful for the kindness and innocence of children. That's the reason I'm here today. I took Ruby to my room so she could change, and everyone continued illuminating the room with thanks. When we came back, Ruby was sparkling with happiness in the dress my mama had made me. It was the best present I had ever got, because I gave it to someone who loved it. Good music, good drink, good food, good family, Good friends. Good life. Skull! Skull! And I have this gift for Rose and Elvin. May you never use this axe to cut your door. With the blood from my palm, I make an offering to Freya. Bless this home and all who visit it. Friends, loved ones, a moment of your time, please. We gather this day to celebrate and to revel in gratitude for a bountiful harvest. A harvest of grain, aye, but also of fellowship. The book tells us to be mindful of the seasons, to know when and where to plant your roots. Thanks to the generosity presented to us, Ebbs and I have decided to plant ourselves right here. We thank you all for your kindness, and I... I am humbled to know such a loving community could exist. Thank you. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. I'm thankful our running has ended. May we never return to New Providence. I want to thank you all for bringing so many nice things to our table. Thank you to Edward for the candles that light our little room. Thank you to Herbert for taking over the mill. And Abigail, thank you for the delicious honey bread. Whew. Wesley, thank you for the lovely linens from your wagon. Joshua, thank you for helping us to build a bigger table. 
And Eustace, I hear you brought this wonderful apricot dessert wine. I threw away the pits first. No shells in there. <laughs> Grandpa took a long puff from his pipe, and a glazed grin crossed his face for a moment before his eyes flew open. Oh, I almost forgot. Everyone, outside, quickly! We all ran outside to behold one of the strangest things I had ever seen. The moon began to vanish right before our eyes. What's causing that? We are! We're moving right between the sun and the moon. But the sun's already gone out to bed. The sun never really sleeps. It lights the moon every night, except when the earth casts its long shadow over it. Look at the stars. Look it, look it, they're so bright. It was then that I learned that we all shine most brightly in the darkness. Our little rays of hope travel through time and space to show us that it's never really over. Maybe we can rebuild Stargazer Village in its own image. For one brief, shiny moment, we all glowed with the light of love. That love still exists just like those tiny points of light in the sky. It's up to us, to all of us, to give our world a new birth of light. You, you may say I'm just dreaming, but I know I'm not the only one who knows the power of love. If I can get just one of you to join me, then maybe, just maybe. One more song?
The role of Abigail was played by Emma Tigallo. Alexander Bays, played by Jesse Rogers. Alvin, played by Phil Ord. Bradley, played by Quill Cotter. Thank you for listening. I'm Laura Ingram, and I narrated Eliza. The voice of candlemaker Edward Milne, played by Michael Silvestri. Eustace Tanji, played by Mike Kelly. Hello, my name is Jared. I play Herbert. He's the grain miller, and he's married to Baker uh, Abigail. Christian Swoboda, playing as Louie. Hello, I'm Jess Glass, and I play Maggie. I'm Greg Smithwick, and I played the part of Nicholas. I'm Michelle Freeman, and I played the part of Nana. Otis Price, the Riverkeeper, played by Joseph Mitchell. Pearl, played by Christy Patterson. Played by Jenner Zeno. Rose, played by Jereen Elkins. Seamus, the drunk prick in the bar who got his face smashed. Played by Jenner Zeno. Tabs, the barmaid, played by Annette Anderson. Hello, it's the tax man! Played by Isaac. Miller. Wesley the Wagon Boy. Played by Harrison Cornwell. Young Eliza. Played by Evelyn Cornwell. Fred Eda as Joshua. The Carpenter. Definitely not Jesus. Original music by Jenner Zeno. Additional music and sound design elements provided by Epidemic Sound. Eater and Jenner Zeno. Produced by Studio Stargazer.